Excuse me for one second. The children are going back to their Creation Kids classroom. <clears throat> so back on March 15th, 2020, I was scheduled to preach. And with a little twist of irony, I was working at that time, no joke, on a sermon on the goodness of God, thinking about God's goodness even in the midst of trouble. March 15th, however, was the first Sunday that we didn't have a worship service due to COVID-19. And though I had prayed and studied and, and had begun to prepare the message, the sermon was never written until now. Um, since the children's VBS theme this week is life is wild, God is good, it seemed very appropriate to me to come back to working on a message about God's goodness in the midst of trouble. The difficulties we've all faced in these last 16 months have definitely changed, I think, what I might have said back in 2020. Hopefully these months have deepened all of us and has, have caused all of us to grow. When I think of God's goodness, one day in particular comes to mind to me. I was, <clears throat> I was working in my kitchen one day in October 2015 preparing a meal for my family as I often do. And while doing so, I heard myself out loud say these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. At the time I remember thinking, where did that come from? Jesus in the Gospel of John tells us that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. On that day, I think that God in his kindness was reminding me of something that I needed to know, even if I didn't know or understand why I needed to know it at that time. About two weeks later, the why became very clear. In that couple week period, I had my annual MRI, which I had, um, which had been wisely added by my breast doctor to my regimen of testing. In addition to my semi-annual mammogram, I was a candidate, a high-risk candidate for breast cancer. That year's MRI resulted in further testing a biopsy which revealed that I did indeed have breast cancer. That C word, that C word is one that no one wants to hear. It's a terrible, haunting word that never leaves you. The following couple of days were filled with learning as much as I could about the type of cancer I had and then making treatment decisions. My bilateral mastectomy surgery, the treatment that would give me the best shot for my future, came a week or so later. Everything happens quickly when you get such a diagnosis. And that was followed by some difficult, painful weeks of healing. So those words from Psalm 23 provided real comfort to me through that time. The Lord spoke directly to my heart and reassured me of his presence. 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I wrote in my journal at the time, we have a good shepherd who has a rod to beat off the enemy and a staff to guide us through even the most difficult path. So through the difficulties of that time in my life, as well as in the years since, I've thought often about the reassuring words God gave me from Psalm 23, which continues on, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with cup oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Literally, the word means chase after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And IV uses the word love there. Um, Many of us memorized it with mercy. It's the word, the Hebrew word hesed, which is sometimes translated love and sometimes translated mercy. And I think it's kind of like a, a blend of loving mercy, maybe, something like that. God's goodness, his love, his mercy chase us down all the days of our lives. God's goodness, his love, his mercy are chasing us even if, even when our lives seem anything but good. Our faith can be shaken when difficulties overwhelm us, can't it? Our hearts, Jeremiah 17 tells us, are deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand them? So our hearts raise lots of questions. God, why have you abandoned me? God, why don't you do something about this? Have you no power? God, do you not love me? And people sometimes question their own lives. Have I done something to deserve God's wrath? God, why are you punishing me? It seems to me that there's this twisted assumption deep in our hearts that when we give our lives to the Lord, we're really supposed to have a Star Trek-like experience that will be beamed up, that we shouldn't ever go through troubles. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm not a Star Trek fan, but you just can't get that image out of your mind, out of trouble. Sometimes I imagine, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I imagine conversations that we may have in heaven someday, either with the Lord himself when he sets me straight about something, or with the saints from the early church. I can't wait to ask them lots of questions. I wonder what they might say to those Christians who think that following the Lord assures us of always being protected from harm. Sometimes they were protected from harm, like Peter in Acts 12, when he was miraculously released from prison, which we'll hear more about in the coming weeks as Pastor Hank continues with the series from Acts. But if you read Acts 12, Peter wasn't the only one arrested by King Herod that day, that time. James, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee, was also arrested. And Luke tells us that he was killed by the sword. I imagine the coming conversation between James and those teaching the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Picture it. Even if we know that we're going to go through troubles in this life and understand that they're not God's punishment to us, When we go through trials, we can still be thrown off kilter. How do we get our bearings? 
How do we reconcile that God is good even if we're suffering in some way? Can God be good if I have cancer? Can God be good if I've lost my job? Can God be good if my spouse has betrayed me? Can God be good if something happens to my child or if my child is a prodigal? Can God be good if depression won't leave me? Can God be good if I've experienced trauma or the evil of another person? Can God be good if my loved one is taken from me? Can God be good if my body is riddled with pain? On and on, such questions are raised in the deep and secret places of our hearts, and sometimes they're whispered out loud. Well, there's a poem that meant much to me in my cancer journey, continues to help me to frame the difficulties of life. The first stanza of the poem, I'm not gonna read it, talks about the cares of life that seem too heavy to bear and how they help to make us strong, like the sun and the rain are both needed for growth. I've noticed, especially this week, we're typically not happy when we get rain here. Most of us love and thrive in bright, sunny days, right? We complain about rain, we bemoan rain. But in parts of the world like Southern Africa where water is in short supply, where food depends on it, where animal survival depends on it, where the ability to have electricity depends on it, rain is prayed for, longed for, watched for, always welcome. Likewise, our spiritual survival, our faith needs both sun and rain. Is the rain welcome? The second stanza of this poem says, O paradox of heaven, the load we think will crush was sent to lift us up to God. Then soul of mine, climb up, for naught can air be crushed save what is underneath the weight. How may we climb? By what ascent shall we surmount the carping cares of life? Within his word are found, is found, the key which opes his secret stairs. Alone with Christ, secluded there, we mount our loads and rest in him. Within his word, we can find the help that we need to climb above our troubles rather than be crushed by them. Today we'll be turning to the book of Psalms, specifically to Psalm 57. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 57. It will also be projected on the wall. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. 
My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. We thank you, God, today for the gift of words. Thank you that words carry truth to us and pictures of who you are. And we thank you for this word today, Lord. We pray that you would help us to hear you through it, help us to see you more clearly, Lord, to, to love you more, to grow stronger in our faith. Lord, today, help us to experience your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this psalm in the heading of it is attributed to David. It says that it's when he fled into the cave, uh, when he fled from Saul into the cave. It's assumed that it was written as a song at the time when David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam, which is found in 1 Samuel 22. King Saul and his jealousy of David's popularity among the people was literally seeking to kill David. David was moving from place to place, hiding from Saul, and in this case, he had been among the Philistine enemies in Israel, of Israel in Gath. And when they recognized who he was, he pretended to be insane, and then he fled from them and hid in a cave with the men who were with him. And through this song, we're given a glimpse into what he was thinking and feeling at that time. Have you ever been chased? I was chased once in my teen years by a group of guys who were known in my city for harming people. The leader of the group had recently returned to school after being in a detention program. Everybody knew what they had done. Well, I had decided to take a shortcut to get to a little corner store about five blocks or so from the apartment where my family lived, and this shortcut was a, like a dark, mostly untraveled side street. If I'd stayed on the main street to get to the store and gone the long way, I would have been fine. But I took the shortcut down this deserted street. And it was only after I'd committed to walking down this deserted street too late to turn back and go the safer way that I realized that this group of guys was running after me. Perhaps they wouldn't have harmed me if they had caught up to me, and they would have caught up to me, except that they had a grocery cart with them, so it slowed them down just a tiny bit. But I don't know if I've ever been so terrified, and I've never run so fast before or since. Adrenaline is an amazing thing. I was running from possible harm David was running from sure harm, from Saul's murderous attempts, from being hotly pursued, as he says in verse 3. Knowing how I felt while being chased, even just thinking about his situation and his fear makes my heart beat more intensely, takes my breath almost away. In verse 4, David describes his pursuers as lions, as ravenous beasts, 
To put it simply, lions are beautiful but very frightening animals. One of the resource books I really like to use in studying the scriptures is a one-volume book called Africa Bible Commentary. With the majority of the Christian church now in the global south, I think it's good and helpful to read some of the, some of the study of scripture that's coming from scholars there. So before opening the book, I was sure that the commentary on Psalm 57.4 would have a lot to say about lions. I was so anxious to read it. And to my surprise, there was nothing, not a single word about lions. And as I thought more about it, it kind of made sense. In Africa, everyone knows of lions. They wouldn't need to say a word about lions. Everyone knows the danger of them. One of our own Brethren in Christ missionaries, Myron Taylor, was mauled by a lion in Zambia 90 years ago in 1931. And tragically, he died a day or so later from the terrible injuries that were sustained. The Brethren in Christ archives at Messiah University has the borrowed rifle that Taylor used to try to fight off the lion. His first two shots missed. It was a borrowed gun. He didn't, he wasn't familiar with it. He missed the lion. And then for the third shot, the gun jammed. So he desperately used the rifle to try to beat off the lion, but a, a rifle was no match for the powerful bite of that massive animal. And if you go to the archives and you see the rifle that Myron Taylor used, you can see the teeth marks still remaining in the gun from the weapon from the lion. Charles Spurgeon was one of the great preachers in Great Britain in the 1800s, and he preached a sermon in 1879 on just on this verse of, of Psalm 57, verse 4. Uh, an entire sermon about, I'm in the midst of lions. In it, he said, <clears throat> at times the Christian is exposed to enemies who are very strong, perhaps strong in the jaw, very strong in biting, rending, and tearing. Sometimes the Christian is exposed to those who loudly roar out their infidelities and their blasphemies against Christ. It is an awful thing to be among lions such as these. He says the lion is not only strong but also cruel. The lion is a creature of great craftiness, creeping along stealthily and then making a sudden spring. Those who are daily watched, daily carped at, daily abused, daily hindered in everything that is good and gracious, they go with their tears before the God they serve and cry to him, my soul is among lions. Maybe like David, you have felt or you feel that you are among lions. My friend Beth and I visited Chris Amarlo's book at Matcha in Zambia in 2016. And at the end of our week together, a wonderful week together, we went um, on an overnight safari in Botswana. Our hope in doing an overnight safari, rather than just a day trip, was that we might get to see lions. Lions are typically able to be seen very early in the morning after their night of hunting and eating. And I'm very thankful that we got to see them when they weren't hungry. 
So here are a handful of our lion photos from that early morning blessing that we had. That's the picture that uh, I can't get out of my mind. See those teeth? <laughs> we got to see um, several males, two females and a bunch of cubs. It was really wonderful, but really frightening also um, to realize um, just how um, intense they can be. I am in the midst of lions, David said. I lie among ravenous beasts men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So with this as David's dangerous situation, being constantly pursued by Saul, who was like this ravenous lion, the psalm begins at verse 1 with David appealing to God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. Just as a little aside, if you're stuck in praying and you don't know what to say, this is a really apt prayer. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Have mercy on me. The Hebrew word for have mercy literally means to bend or to stoop in kindness to an inferior, to incline towards. And then the rest of verse 1 goes on, for in you my soul takes refuge. So picture it as God bends in kindness towards us, we're able to be covered, to hide in the shadow of his wings until the disaster has passed. If you were to go outside on a sunny day, you'd be able to see your shadow. And depending on what time of day it is, would, that would determine the size of your shadow. The angle of the light changes as the day goes on. But the size of your shadow would also depend on your angle, right? So if you were standing upright, you'd have a shadow on the ground, but its scope would be limited. But if you were to bend your body, the shadow below you would grow larger and the space of the shade would be more expansive. God may be high and mighty, but he's not aloof as he bends towards us, the expanse of his care and of his protection, of his refuge, it grows. There's a hymn I love, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. The third verse says, Father-like he tends and spares us, well our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Alleluia, alleluia, widely as his mercy flows. Picture this wide shadow as God bends. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Have mercy on me. In verses 2 and 3, David proclaims two truths about God. He cries out to God most high. He calls God Elohim, the name that's used in Genesis 1-1 when God created. And he calls him Elyon, most high. God is exalted above everyone and everything, 
And that's David's proclamation. But in addition to his clear understanding that God is supreme, that God is above all, David's also very aware of the personal nature of God, of his care for him. As he continues in verse two, to God, and this time he uses the name El. To God who works for me, who fulfills his purpose for me, this name of God, El, is the same word of God that's used to form other names, like Emmanuel, with us is God. David's focus was on the good God that he knew rather than the fear that he felt. He knew that God was above all, the Almighty, the King, the Lord, the God to be worshiped, revered, feared, obeyed, exalted above all others, above all monarchs, above all peoples, above all gods, above all idols, above all things. He is God most high. But he's not just that to David. He's also the God who takes a personal interest in life. David says in verse three, he sends from heaven and saves me. God sends his love. And here again, he uses that word hesed that we, I mentioned about in Psalm 23, that word that sometimes is translated love, sometimes is translated mercy. He sends his love, his hesed, and his faithfulness, which is also translated as truth and firmness. Eugene Peterson in the message translates verse three in this way. He says, God delivers generous love. He makes good on his word. When I think of Hesed, a particular day at my house comes to mind. This was years ago. On a Saturday morning, I was sitting at the kitchen table working on paying bills. And to my shock, I don't even know how to say that strongly enough, to my shock, and horror, when I got to our credit card bill, which we always pay fully, we only use it for convenience, there was a very large charge there from Apple. When I say large charge, I'm talking about in the thousands of dollars. Um, can you imagine my instant nausea <laughs> the shock um, of that. Well, first I thought, did Craig buy a computer without talking to me about it? That would be strange. We don't function that way in our home. He didn't purchase anything, and I didn't purchase anything. So I called Apple when I couldn't figure out what it was, assuming that it was a mistake on their part, on their part. Yeah. When I called Apple to clear it up, I shocking, shockingly learned that children playing games on their phone or computer can somehow buy coins. You laugh. <laughs> Couple thousand dollars worth of virtual coins. Neither of our boys thought that they had done any such thing so I continue to talk with Apple <laughs> and try to work it out. And Apple, to their credit, was very gracious and merciful one time. They said only once, if you ever do it again, you'll pay the bill. But while we were working that out with Apple, 
one of our sons came to the kitchen and asked a really pointed question. I can still hear him say it. He said, if I did something wrong, would you still love me? Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm getting tears thinking about that moment. At that split second, Craig bent down, wrapped his arms around our son, and assured his little tender heart of the depth of our love. It's a forgiving love. Easier to forgive since Apple also had forgiving love. <laughs> this is Hesed. David says God sends his Hesed and his faithfulness. Please don't say anything to my boys about this. They don't know that I was sharing it and they wouldn't like it. I won't tell you which one it was. Don't mention it to either of them. At the beginning of the Psalm, when David is in fear, he repeats himself, I imagine for emphasis, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. And then in verse seven, he uses similar repetition to seal his point once again. David, who's been touched by God's faithfulness, God's firmness, God's truth, this time he says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. That word for steadfast, kun, means fixed, established, set, immovable. So when I was a youth pastor at Grantham Church years ago, we used to join every summer with a number of Brethren in Christ churches and go on a weekend retreat at a camp down in Maryland. It was located just about 10 minutes off of Route 15 on the mountain that's behind Mount St. Mary College. It's a beautiful camp back in there if you've never been there. When you get off Route 15 to go to the camp, you drive through this very wooded area. Well, we rented 15 passenger vans for transportation. I actually think we had vans from from Messiah at the time. They're not the easiest things to turn around. They're big. And most people aren't used to driving big vehicles like that. And we're on this narrow wooded road. Not easy to turn around. So I don't remember the details of why. Perhaps somebody forgot something as we were leaving the camp. But we had to turn around. <clears throat> One of the volunteer leaders, as she tried to turn her van around, back straight into a family's mailbox. Didn't even see it. Smashed right into it. And normally, if a vehicle hits a mailbox post, it's the post that suffers damage. Uh, a few years ago, our postal delivery truck that comes by our house during the winter slid on ice right smack in front of our house. Hit our mailbox post, sheared it right in half, boom, laying on the ground. That's what usually happens when you hit a mailbox post. Well, when this 15-passenger van, very large, heavy vehicle, hit that mailbox post, though we would have expected that it would have moved, it didn't. And so the van took all the damage. Sorry, Messiah University. When we got out and talked to the homeowner, 
apologizing to them for accidentally hitting their post, we learned that they had grown so tired of people making sport of driving around and destroying their mailbox during the middle of the night that they, they said it happened often in that area. So to take care of their occurring problem, they put in a new solid metal post mounted with a new metal mailbox. And then they filled both of them, did you hear me? Both of them with concrete the post and the box. I'm not sure where the mail was put when they were delivering it, I didn't ask. But imagine the shock, and I mean the literal shock to their hands that someone would have felt when they swung a baseball bat the next time at that mailbox. Hmm, that mailbox and post is what I picture here when the psalmist says, my heart is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. No matter what may come against it, no matter what may come at it, whether maliciously from the enemy of our souls or the consequence of life in a fallen world that bumps into us, the heart cannot be moved. It's fixed. Fixed on the goodness, fixed on the faithfulness, fixed on the love, fixed on the mercy of God. It's this steadfastness of heart that proclaims God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God is good, and all the time, this call and response, so often repeated in African-American churches and, and lots of other churches here and around the world, it helps us with framing our life and our faith, doesn't it? I, I honestly, I tried to find it. I don't know the origin of this call and response, but it makes me think of the book of Lamentations. The author of Lamentations in chapter three, verse 25, cries, the Lord is good. And we sit back and nod. Yeah, the Lord is good. The context of this declaration makes these words staggering. Jerusalem had just been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Judah's king, Zedekiah, was blinded and carted off to exile along with thousands of Judah's officials. The people were destitute, starving, dying. Parents were doing detestable things in order to survive. And yet the author and eyewitness to the siege still managed to proclaim the Lord is good. The Lord is good, he says. He began the proclamation several verses before in, in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 21. He says, yet this I call to mind. That's a great line. Yet this I call to mind. He was able to declare God's goodness in the presence of inexpressible tragedy because he remembered God's goodness in the past. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Life, as we all know, is not always good. I don't have to tell you that. I just have to look around and know some of the things that some of you 
have faced, like me. The things that happen to us or to those we love and care for are not always good. In Lamentations, the calamity being witnessed did not diminish the writer's memory of God's goodness as he intentionally brought to mind what he knew to be true about God. You and I must do the same because God is indeed and always good. In Psalm 57, David repeated the line, have mercy on me. The first repetition was his plea for help. And then he later repeated the line, my heart is steadfast, a declaration of faith. And then there's a bit more repetition in the Psalm. In verse five, David says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And then he repeats the same words again in verse 11 to close the song. He's filled with praise for God's love and his faithfulness. The Africa Bible commentary says God is already most high, but David wants him to be even higher if that were possible. Isn't that a great line? God is already most high, but David wants him to be even higher. You and I have had troubles and difficulties, and we're going to have more of them as we journey through this life. Following the Lord doesn't make us immune to these things. While we might not be able to silence the questions that trials bring forth, following the Lord gives us an answer to the questions. God is good. Be steadfast, my heart. Be fixed. Be steadfast. Be exalted, O God. So as we close today, as we exalt our Lord, as we sing together of the goodness, the mercy, the love of God, the worship team can come. We invite anyone who would like to come for prayer. Some of the pastors will be here along the front and we'd be happy to pray for you, to pray with you, to help carry your burdens to the Lord. Let's sing together. Would you stand if you're able?
mercy on us, O God. As you bend toward us, help us to find refuge in you and your care. Help our hearts to be steadfast, O God. Help us to hold tightly to your love and your faithfulness. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. In our hearts and lives, may you, Lord, be above all else. Bless each person as we go from here, Lord. Help us to walk with you, to exalt you and show you to others in this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. <laughs>